0: This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Well, certainly healthcare continues to be at the forefront of minds as we head into 2022. The coronavirus continues to be a part of our everyday life with the Omnichrome uh, variant, uh, the latest one kind of in the mix. So what does this mean for healthcare overall in general? Dr. Ezekiel Emanuel is Vice Provost for Global Initiatives, as well as Chair of the Department of Medical Ethics and Policy at the University of Pennsylvania. Zeke, great to talk to you again, uh, hope you're doing well. Thank you very much, yes, it's been great. So let me start kind of with an overview of 2021 and how you think the healthcare sector in general was able to get through the year uh, with all of these different elements at play?
1: Well, uh, there's not one answer. Let us just say, uh, I do think when the Biden administration came into office, uh, hard to recall, but that's a year ago, January 20th um, They had a playbook to execute on getting vaccines to Americans. And frankly, uh, it wasn't flawless, but they executed really, really well. They got uh, tens, hundreds of millions of Americans vaccinated. Um, there was a first cohort, as we all know, the willing, uh, somewhere between 35 and 40 percent, made a difference, seemed to have the uh, uh, virus come down. In early June, things were looking great. Uh, late May, early June, CDC said, to, you know, take off your mask famously. Um, And then Delta hit, and it wasn't in the playbook. Um, And I think since that time, we've really been struggling. Uh, We sort of hit a plateau of about 60% of Americans vaccinated, uh, which is a real problem because we need to be higher at 80, 85%. We've seen the need to implement Uh, mandates. You know, I called for a mandate in April 14th, which was the peak day of vaccinations. And it was clear to me, even when we were giving out 3.3, 3.4 million vaccines per day, we weren't going to get to where we needed to be voluntarily. We've never gotten to 85% of the population doing anything voluntarily. And so it was clear to me mandates were necessary. We've slowly rolled out mandates first: healthcare workers, uh, the military, the VA, healthcare workers, um, and now all employers over hundred, assuming that OSHA can win its legal uh, battle. Um, <clears throat> I think there are still things that need to be done on that front. Uh, then Delta hit, cases have gone up, uh, the holidays. There's no doubt that in early January, we will have a, a we're, we're already in a big uh, a surge and we're gonna have a higher surge. I don't think it's gonna be as bad as the start of 2020, 2021, uh, people again may not remember, but we had a huge surge. More importantly, we were having 3,500 deaths per day. I don't think we're going to get there because so much of the population is vaccinated. But we could get over 2,000 deaths per day, which would be double um, where we are today, more than double uh, where we are today, um, and that's a worrisome sign. You know that we have an effective uh, uh, vaccine um, and people are sort of not taking it up. The other piece of good news here is the potential oral therapeutics. Um, They could have a very big effect. Now, it's a little more complicated because they have to be taken very, very quickly after you have symptoms or know you're positive. And we don't have that tight link between the testing system and doing something, either getting people in studies, getting people oral therapeutics, getting people monoclonals. That actually has been one of the biggest failings, if you ask me of the uh, current system, uh, the, the testing has not been linked to the rest of what we need to be doing. So uh, on the healthcare system, you know, I think if, if you had to take away a big lesson here uh, for the healthcare system separate from COVID, COVID has induced uh, big transformations in moving out of facilities, out of hospitals, out of offices, whether it's more home care, more telemedicine, how that sticks how it's coordinated, that's still a work in progress, frankly, and will be a work in progress. You are seeing a lot of startups come into the space. Who survives? I think it's gonna be the, the startup that can give you one-stop shopping and really coordinate the continuum of non-institutional care. We don't have that company yet, but I think that's where we're going. So a doctor uh, or nurse practitioner or someone can say, you know home care for and everything you need, whether it's antibiotics, an IV infusion, a hospital bed, um, uh, laboratory tests can be done pretty seamlessly at the home uh, uh, over uh, uh, remote monitoring. Um, I think that's, again, we're not there, but it's inevitable Um, uh, although how long it'll take, uh, I I think, is a little unclear. And then, of course, the payment system is going to have to catch up
0: on that ballgame. So as you were saying that, in my mind, I was thinking about something that we've talked about a lot from the business perspective during this time of the pandemic, and that's how so many businesses have had to pivot during this time to be able to stay alive, you know, they're, keep their business operations running. And what you're laying out there seemingly is a pretty large pivot, I think, in many cases, in many sectors of the healthcare sector as we move forward over the next couple of years.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I think the healthcare sector over the last decade has been moving slower and then a little more rapidly um but yes it's going to be a pivot and i think again just to re-emphasize uh dan it's going to be uh, induced long-term changes in the healthcare system you know just like we're seeing long-term changes in the labor market uh with a great resignation more work from home um we're gonna see in healthcare again more home more uh, uh care that's virtual uh and i think In general, that's something I've been advocating, you know, I I happen to go back to my 2014 book, Reinventing American Healthcare, and, you know, basically said we're going to be moving out of the hospital um, and the four walls of the physician's office and, you know, it's probably taken longer than I anticipated, but it's definitely entrenched.
0: Let me ask you about the telehealth movement, which is something we've talked about in the past, and, and, and you've talked about the importance of it uh, as we move forward. Where does that stand right now, do you believe, in the scope of having to deal through the impacts of, of the pandemic and, and where it's headed forward?
1: Well, in some ways, and this may horrify some people, have, it's kind of like electronic health records. Before the pandemic, hardly anyone used them. Right before the Affordable Care, uh, the uh, 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 High Tech Act, hardly any health systems used it. And then suddenly, you're forced to use it. Uh, it's not pretty. There are a lot of kinks. Same thing here. It's not, you know, it's not seamless. It's not wonderful yet. But we, were forced to do it, and we will accommodate. But what we have seen is a big uptick, and then. It's really dropped back down, partially because of payment, partially because of, uh, you know, being able to give advice across state lines um, uh, and a lot of other, you know, HIPAA rules related to privacy, et cetera. That'll all be worked out. I have no doubt about it. And as more doctors and health systems go to risk, telemedicine will find its niche in, um, in the appropriate care.
0: Is there a linkage, do you think, then, because obviously payment systems have developed on a technological standpoint in general, but is there a linkage between the success we're now seeing with payment systems just in general in the public and how payment can work in the healthcare sector using that technological aspect?
1: Well, um, again, part of the issue is the worry that if you pay for it, it'll be, in addition, not substituting for regular in-person care and that'll just add cost so i think figuring out that happy medium how you pay for it and it substitutes it doesn't uh it's not additional is i think what everyone is trying to work out and the best way to do that frankly is put the uh providers at risk then they'll figure out how they need to integrate it um, when they're at risk for example we know for example Post-surgery, they send patients home, they do home PT and things like that. They figure it out, and we need to uh, we, we need to empower the provider to figure it out. Um, it's not something that really payers ought to be figuring out.
0: So as we move forward, we've had the Delta variant, we have Omicron. Is there an element that we should expect that we're going to be dealing with virus of some kind from this for a significant period of time moving forward?
1: Absolutely. I mean, we're not getting away from coronavirus. It's here to stay. It's around the world. Um, What we will do is see it more as like the flu. It's just in the uh, air, as it were. Um, uh, And I think we need to actually reorient. So this, getting into the weeds a little bit, but the weeds here do influence how we think about things. You know, when the CDC and others look at, at, at respiratory illnesses, they say uh, pneumonia and influenza. I think we have to separate pneumonia, bacterial pneumonias, all of those things. That's one category. Viral respiratory illnesses, the flu, uh, adenovirus uh para influenza virus and now coronavirus that's a different category and so we have to reorient the viral respiratory illnesses and the bacterial respiratory illnesses and look at them separately and i think we need to get into a position of where we really can monitor all the viral respiratory illnesses we have the capacity we've just not deployed it and get it much more real-time analysis um you know wherever a hospital is reporting we have uh, multiplex uh, uh, diagnostics so people can figure out, yes, we're seeing this uptick in influenza or para-influenza or respiratory syncytial virus, and we actually know what's happening in the community. I mean, I, I think one of the things that's been made clear, if not to the public then certainly to policymakers, is, a lot of what the CDC was doing was really flying by, just sort of you know, using a model and grabbing numbers. It wasn't yeah, real yeah. data, it was modeling and we need more real data. And uh, it has to be real time, and it has to be all the hospitals, physician offices, increasingly um, uh, pharmacies, uh, the ability to monitor and do rapid tests. Um, We, again, need to invest in it, but uh, with a whole data infrastructure as well as the tests. But I think that's where we're going. Coronavirus is going to be here, hopefully the uh, orals We'll take care of it, and we'll get better vaccines that are pan-coronaviruses, if not pan-coronaviruses, then really can uh, quickly adapt.
0: So as we turn the calendar to 2022, where is your focus of most interest going into the year for the healthcare sector? What are the elements that you that you are most, uh, most watchful of?
1: Well, I think the question is when do we get coronavirus so that it's not a felt to be a health emergency dominating the front page of the paper and floats into the background. Um, prior to Omicron, I thought it was going to be kind of April, May 2022. Uh, if Omicron turns out not to be severe, um, uh, then that that might hold. If it turns out to be more severe and really have complications, especially in the elderly, um, then that'll be pushed down the line until we get a vaccine. Um, I do, you know, I I don't know how to do this. I can tell you what the imperative is: not that I know the path there. We need to stop making vaccines and vaccination a cultural issue and just make it a scientific medical issue. Um, And, uh, you know, having people mandated for vaccine is not a, it's not a, big issue about, you know, are you for freedom or against freedom? It's are we going to live together and respect each other and protect each other's health? And that's, I think, going to be really important to do because we're going to have to get a very high vaccination rate. and We're just not there yet.
0: Zeke, as always, great to get your insight. Thanks very much. Wish you a great 2022.
1: Yeah, I wish you a great one, and all the listeners a great 2022. And hopefully, we'll get coronavirus in the background. I know that I, like many of your listeners, really wanna get back to a life where we can do the usual things we can travel we can see family without masks we yeah, can go to restaurants you. and theater and concerts without masks and and that will be i hope that'll be the legacy of 2022 for all of us
0: dr zico Manuel, who is a vice provost of global initiatives as well as chair of the department of medical ethics and policy at the university of pennsylvania